Hey, Hannah. What's that thing called where blue lives don't matter when they're black? The race thing. Yeah, that's What's it. that thing called? And who gave it to you? Do you mock it because of its vanguard benefits? Did you take one down and pass it around like bread at a table of your ancestors and relatives? How much did it cost? And are you still paying for it? What's your monthly freedom or oppression, traditional or open to suggestions on something a little more fresh and new? Do people even care? How often are you heard, I mean really heard, whether within or without of your tribe, the popular population where you reside, sharing inherited physical and biological traits? It's race. everybody i'm tori paxson and i'm hannah Prush. <laughs> and this is the race day where race is a problem all over the world period we talk to community members policymakers, and activists to peel back the layers of racism if that's something you like make sure to hit the subscribe button and leave us a like <laughs> i can't with you for today's topic, we talk about discrimination and segregation in law enforcement. And so to get more perspective, we talk to Sergeant Catherine Netter. Experienced oh. in law enforcement for over 20 years, Sergeant Catherine Netter is a trainer and organizer for the Racial Equity Institute. I think it's important to note, again, with anything, the historical context of everything that's around us, because a lot of, um, in a lot of ways, our, the history that we've been taught is very superficial and very whitewashed. Um, so when we look into law enforcement, I think it's important to know where law enforcement first came from, like police departments, what was policing, what did policing really mean? And um, when you go back to the roots of it all, during the times of slavery, it was policing was basically a way for the community members to kind of go undercover and like um, uh, grab all the enslaved people who were running away or trying to like uh, find some kind of way out um, to bring them back to their slave owners. I think it also goes into play about the very real systemic barriers and the two Americas that uh, if you haven't checked out her full interview, Catherine Netter was talking to us about the very two different outcomes that can come when <laughs> the two very different outcomes that happen uh, when you're dealing with a black person uh, versus a white person when we're talking about law enforcement and our criminal justice system. Uh, I think that we all as a nation saw that happen after the January 6th Capitol siege uh, that went down of how there was very little uh, law enforcement presence and it even got to the point where law enforcement were letting people in to the Capitol to um, disrespect our Capitol in ways that I, as a black person, would just never be able to do. Like, especially after there were um, issues about, you know, Capitol Police being literally so damn strict on black and brown people to the point where you can't even get that close to the Capitol grounds if you're a black and brown person. So the idea that a white person could just, you know, walk through the Capitol halls with zip ties, guns, planning to steal the uh, the ballot box. And it was just, 
unfathomable at that moment to even believe that something like that could go down. But then as a whole, it was good to also have the entire nation finally see, well, hopefully finally see the two different Americas that black people and white people live in, because that just would not have been a reality for anybody who looks like anyone in this room. Yeah. Um, again, it's still like beneficial for everybody to, um, you know, uh, help the most, uh, most oppressed um, portion of your population because if those people are taken care of then your whole um, community is taken care of. You say when the factors of you know how our law enforcement even began it always has been to keep black and brown people in this country oppressed. Yeah. At the end of the day that is the origins of our law enforcement and that's why our law enforcement has not changed right. because even standard policies are discriminatory in practice. If we have to try to explain to officers why it's important to keep their body cameras on because of the factor that, you know, you have civilian lives at risk every day when you're out here doing your job because a routine traffic stop isn't routine. Mm. Then if you don't know what's going to happen at that traffic stop and you're automatically fearing for your life at every single traffic stop, then you shouldn't be a cop. Then Then have to ask yourself, why does law enforcement even exist? And if this is the origins of our law enforcement, then why do we still need a system that's set up like that? I also feel like when we're even having that conversation with Catherine Netter and we were discussing about the factors of how for 20 years, from 1994 to 2014, not one black male was hired off the street. Meanwhile, white officers were hired off the street They were put through rookie school and the agency paid for it. They were offered promotions. They could very easily go through the rank. And for 20 years, there was not one black man wearing that uniform. Mm -hmm. So when you then have an institute that's male-dominated and very white male-dominated, then you even have to ask yourself those very pivotal questions of when people say, well, why is the police racist? Because the police... (laughs) was set up to be racist. Law enforcement was set up to be racist from junk. Mm -hmm. You can't sit here and have an agency or organization that does not hire anyone black for 20 years and think that that's not racist. That they're just like, oh, black people just weren't applying. (laughs) And I think also there's a point of like understanding of, um, you know, to your point, black and brown people, like policing was put into place in order to oppress black and brown people in ways of like making sure that like if they there was any kind of disruption not even actual criminal activity right if there's any kind of disruption you are being oppressed by either being pulled over or you know um stopped for no reason and like made to feel little that you are less than a human being for doing any kind of thing you you could be loud right and like get those uh loudness violations or whatever and you could be reprimanded for any amount of um, any amount of mistakes that you can make as a black or brown person, or an immigrant or black person. And so I think it's it's very interesting to see how people still don't see that there is racism there because you have to understand that policing was put into place to protect people. Yes, 
but certain type of people. No whites. White people, right. And it, it was against black and brown people to ensure that they weren't um, able to succeed or like, you know, the, the idea of like, oh, police departments keep our streets clean is just disgusting because at the end of the day, human beings do make mistakes and they are a they are subjected to a lot of trauma there uh, there's a lot of historical trauma that we're dealing with and then you have like drug wars and like then you have war on drugs yeah i think also when we're even trying to dissect what it's like to be a uh non-white person wearing the uniform like even the factors that when people talk about blue lives and of course as we constantly talk about there are no such thing as blue lives. Mm -hmm. Nobody who puts on that uniform is putting on a new identity or putting on a new skin when they become a police officer. That's not possible. Let me tell you, even that blue life and that uniform it can still take that uniform off and use their white privilege all day long mm -hmm. while they're in their organization and while they're outside of their organization Regardless of you being an officer, you are still a white man at the end of the day. So that blue life thing needs to go right out the window. Especially when we're also talking about, like I said, our non-white uh, officers who are wearing that uniform. You know, mm -hmm. you then have to deal with segregation in your own agency. You then have to deal with discrimination in your own agency. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with a partner who might be another race than you who's saying racist things or who's doing um, making comments that you're not comfortable with and who's doing things with you that he wouldn't stereotypically do with another white male. Yeah. So there's so many things that then come up into play. And then there's a way that you have to even behave when you're interacting with civilians right. as a non-white person wearing the uniform. Yeah. Because you're more likely to get berated, harassed, and then you're sitting here hoping that your supervisors or your partner is going to stand up for you. But you have to be perfect. You have to prove to them that you you didn't do anything to offend that civilian to have that civilian come at you and speak to you a certain type of way and then if he's not on camera then it then becomes your word versus that civilian's word and a lot of times for our non-white officers their word is not going to be as credible as a white officer's words I think it's also, yeah, to your point, like segregation in law enforcement and Sergeant Nutter talks about it in great detail. But, um, you know, first of all, you're not hiring a lot of black and brown people. Um, and then when you do hire them, you make sure that they are limited to certain ranks. And like to, um, you know, she talks a little more about like rank system and like how that uh, benefits people in the long run when you're in the career of law enforcement. It's very interesting to see because you again you see like the deep um, claws of segregation right and also not in the sense of like oh well why does it matter you're still in law enforcement or whatever if we talk about superficial stuff like oh I get berated every day like you know harassed or bullied or whatever one of the biggest things that the reason why we talk about racism so much is because of the structural claws of racism and how it affects people in their daily lives and like goes on for centuries right most definitely if you can't rise up the ranks in your career and have accessibility to promotions then 
it eliminates you being able to, like we were talking about earlier, to close that wealth gap mm-hmm. that there is between non-whites and white people in certain careers fields, in various different career fields. Because mm-hmm. we see this happening all the time where it comes to the factors of white people are getting higher positions of power and it's not being accessible for non-white people to have those same positions, to achieve those same salaries. And that becomes a big problem when you're purposely blocking non-white people from having access to those positions of power, of having access to those promotions, because you feel as though that white people aren't going to listen to them. They're not going to want to be supervised by them. They're not going to want to sit here and do the job properly or the way that they're supposed to be doing the job because they're being what is it, overseen by a non-white person. And then that, of course, is a problem. If you have white officers that have problems taking um, authority or taking uh, words and, and of respect from a non-white person who's their superior, then they don't need to be in the organization anymore. Mm. So as a whole, I feel like when you're not seeing the fact of that, even as a non-white person wearing that uniform, as a non-white person uh, walking the streets wearing that uniform, they live in a completely different mindset or a completely different perspective. And they have so much more responsibility because law enforcement is rooted, fried, dipped in white supremacy culture. Yeah, for sure. I think also like another point that you made earlier, and I'm going to like bring it back to that a little bit, is like, the idea of, you know, segregation within the law enforcement does one big thing. One of the things is that you are making sure that the deputies don't become sheriffs, right? And like you stay in the deputy rank and you're lauded for it for whatever reason. There's a lot of respect given to police officers, law enforcement officers, you know, military. We can go into that at some other time. That's a different video. That's a different video. Um, However, you know, the the respect, you know, whatever. But you still don't get to become a sheriff. And one of the biggest things that that, um, Sergeant Natter had said, and which was like eye-opening, right, was just like that a black person has always been, you know, kind of held accountable by a white person, but a white person never got accountable by a black person in law enforcement because they don't become sheriffs. And a sheriff essentially has zero accountability. The only accountable person that they have to um, report to are the people. And Oftentimes, like because of the unions and whatnot, like the internal fraternal, fraternization, no, fraternization, fraternization of um, uh, police officers, you don't get to hear anything. Like all of the files are neatly packed away, and you don't get to see the reports and like the mistakes that they have made, which which is interesting to me because like. A lot of times if police officers do something wrong and like actually affect the community members, that is taken as a mistake. But if a civilian makes a mistake, they can be sent to jail depending on the color of their skin. So in that sense, like it's very interesting to see how, you know, sheriffs are never being held accountable for anything. And you don't really see black people in sheriff departments. And I feel like we know that's because of the systemic barriers that are put in place. You Mm -hmm. know, as a whole, 
what would white supremacy culture gain by making a black person a sheriff? Mm. Because at the same time, it then becomes the sole responsibility of the people to elect the sheriff and the power. So if you have a sheriff who the people deem is just, is courageous, is making the right calls, is doing what's best for the majority, mm. then of course they're going to continuously elect the sheriff again and again mm. and again and again. And then you're going to see those very same systems of power mm. happening within the law enforcement agency that that sheriff is, uh, is ahead of. Mm. Which is why there are no changes because you have the same people in the same positions of power doing mm. the same thing and only the people who don't actually really know because there's no laws yet put in place to actually tell us what's happening in our police departments mm. are the ones electing the said sheriff. So who's to say who actually really knows if the sheriff is just doing the right thing, mm. making the right calls, because you have no real proof that he is. Right. There's nobody above the sheriff that can say, oh, I checked that, you know, like I analyzed his work and to completely say that this is valid or whatever. Who is the unbiased person that's above the sheriff? Absolutely nobody. And so it's very interesting also because the sheriff can literally hide all the information and you would never know. And that goes into your, our um, right to know as civilians, right. uh, like the transparency in any kind of public policy. And like law enforcement should be one of the biggest things. And that's why we're like fighting for these policies to like go into... Um, our system so that we could just kind of dismantle it but right and then if you you know if your sheriff does make a mistake then here come the state troopers to cover it up for them right but that's another video as well <laughs> yeah it's just very interesting because everything is always interconnected and related to everything but please 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 do your historical context research before you uh go out and say stupid things like blue lives Right. You don't, you don't have to believe us. Google is your friend, honey, and right. Google is free. And, you know, the best thing that I heard in a podcast was just, like, stop asking people what their opinions on things are. If you have, a, you know, a curious question or whatever, you can literally research on Google, because I could give you my experience, right? Like, I could, as a brown person, I could say, like, oh, I had racist upbringing, this, that, and the other thing. But what you can do is Google it and get the historical context of, like, what immigration laws were, how they affect people, all of this stuff, and, like, what led me to the point that I am at today. And then, like, you know, experiences are different, too, because, like, you get to connect with people with experiences. That's important as well. However, you don't need to come up to me and ask me questions about, like, oh, what do I think about, like, Trump building a wall? That has happened a lot. Even friends have asked me that question, and it's really annoying. So go do your research on Google. It helps quite a lot. Also, if you don't have internet, your local library is also your friend. Yes, TCFL. I'm the board member there. If you're a non-white business, please make sure to email us at theracething at gmail.com. We like to feature our non-white businesses at the end of every video on Mondays and Fridays. Our non-white business this week is Aura Bahira. Oh, you did a good job. That is my sister. She creates cruelty-free halal beauty products. If you want to hear the full interview where we talk with Sergeant Netter about her experiences as a police officer, then go check out our last video.
And thank you for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And comment below. This has been The Race Day. Until next time.